So a confession, I was kind of hoping I could reuse a sermon this morning. I've pastored or been part of a lay preaching team for almost 20 years. I know y'all, she can't be that old, but. (laughs) Um, So I thought I was bound to have a sermon on Palm Sunday. However, as I scanned my personal archives, I only had one. It was from 2006, and it was riddled with the word Lord. So not a great sermon for you here at Shalom. Honestly, I was a little bit surprised by how studiously I had avoided preaching on Palm Sunday through the years. And there is a simple enough explanation. I hate Palm Sunday. So why, you might ask? It has a lot of things going for it. Kids, palms, some truly great hymns. Well, I suppose there are a number of reasons. It might be the tinge of Christian triumphalism that seems to seep into traditional celebrations of the day, even when we try not to have it. Perhaps the same kind of triumphalism that seeps into so many Christian proclamations that Jesus is Lord. Or it might be that often mentioned whiplash that occurs between now and Good Friday, the old classic sermon trope of the crowds crying Hosanna one day and crucify the next, the imminent betrayals. But mostly I think it is the sense of inevitable doom. The scene that we remember on Palm Sunday isn't unique in world history. We see something like it playing out often enough on our news channels, in so many movements against oppression or despots. Opposition movements arise and take to the streets of a city for a moment or a day or a week or a month. Young, brave, and bold people march freely. A carnival breaks out. There is singing and exhilaration. People may stuff seeds in soldiers' pockets or flowers in the barrels of guns. They make art. They symbolically claim the center of the city. There is something steely and morally sure about such moments. Certitude about how the world ought to be. A world in which homeless children cry out unabashedly where the protesters stand fearless in front of a tank, or the crowds lay down their coats with no practical thoughts about what they will wear tomorrow. And we all have our own responses to such moments. For some, unabashed hope. I have a dear friend who is quite the activist, and I can't count the amount of times in his work to advocate for unhoused and racialized folks dealing with police violence, he has said to me, I think this is a Kairos moment, Jody. Referring to the theological term for that critical moment when sacred time and earthly time meet, when things finally change. And I think he really believes it. Again, every time, getting caught up over and over again in a dream of a new world. Of course, people like him sometimes do change the world, but often they are crushed by it. 
Other people, I think, try their best to inure their souls from any possible disappointment by trying to always align with winners. They fawn at power and seek to appease it. They look at such festivals and uprisings with sneers and state their desire for law and order. Now, I am one of those people who is tempted to not hope at all for fear of getting my hopes dashed. I can't help but feel both the joy and foreboding in such moments, painfully intermingled. This is, I think, why I hate Palm Sunday because we know the rulers are waiting for the next day, the next month, or in our story to the middle of the following week. And they begin to crack down, to arrest or disappear people in the middle of the night, to spread so much fear that people begin to betray each other, to make public examples of the leaders. I hate the Sunday so much because it feels all too real a Sunday of false hoping. I named some of these frustrations to Trevor um, in a, one of our weekly meetings, and he challenged me to think of Palm Sunday differently, to see Palm Sunday as a revelation about how Jesus should have been received, how he is, how he would have been received if the world was as it should be as the one who should be in charge. And perhaps this is an explanation for the astonishing overreach of the pilots and the Putins of this world to such movements. So afraid, so filled with inexhaustible, craven, hollow fear. Because on some level, they recognize that their power is actually illegitimate. In their deepest selves, they know that the true authority derives from this place of love and joyful exuberance in the streets. And so we see in our story, the Roman authorities will do everything to delegitimate, delegitimate Jesus. They will try to make him into a clown by dressing him in a robe and a fake crown, calling him crazy and delusional and racist names, abusing him physically, and assuredly in other ways, classing him with criminals and heretics and blasphemers. But this is also where this story deviates from many of the other stories we hear and witness on our nightly news. Because somehow, despite all these attempts to dehumanize, Jesus's startling humanity remains, his courage, his singularity, his loneliness and his loveliness. So this morning, we consider this person again. And we also consider the astonishing mystery at the heart of the gospel, that this Jesus by occupying all these spaces of shaming and derision, with such unabashed candor and courage, somehow rehumanized them. Indeed, brought them to glory. Paul captures this brilliantly when he reminds us that God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world, 
the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are claimed to be. A real revolution of what is valuable and worthy somehow happened during this holy week and connected to this man, Jesus. And this is despite the fact of all the attempts to tell a different story. We stand on the other end of 2,000 years of Christian history, 2,000 years in which the word Lord and the whole concept of Christ's supremacy has been preached in bad faith from the bowels of colonizing ships in the forms of papal declarations used to justify enslavement of non-Christians and to occupy their lands. After 2,000 years spent attempting to commandeer the legacy of Jesus for every imperial, patriarchal, and oppressive power, we rightly fumble with the right words to express the singular power that is present here during this holy week. That despite all these attempts to own Jesus, that somehow Jesus still confronts us this morning as the Jesus of the streets, regnant in the songs of children. So we say with them, Hosanna to the one who has come in the name. <laughs>